Then I'm going to talk a little bit about the work itself, although I can't really speak to it um, as an art historian would, as, as a work of art. But I can talk about some of the things I see in it from a kind of a cultural perspective. And then I'm going to talk about the social and cultural context of the, of the work and uh, aviation's influence on American art and design, which is what I'm interested in. Uh, in 1938, from 1938 to 1940, he joined the faculty of the Laboratory School of Industrial Design in New York City, uh, which was originally called the Design Laboratory, which is an interesting uh, entity, uh, a tuition-free school of design that opened in 1935. It was sponsored by the Works Progress Administration Federal Art uh, Project, uh, which you may know about. Um, it's kind of a, a an attempt by the New Deal to uh, put artists to work in various ways. Uh, what I find interesting about the Design Lab was that uh, it was under the directorship of industrial designer Gilbert Rohde, who was primarily um, a furniture designer. He worked with a company called Herman Miller that you may, may, may know about, uh, designing furniture, modern, modernist furniture for them. Um, they gave him a huge commission, uh, and he expanded, uh, as a result of his work with Herman Miller, their office was expanded from their central location in Michigan to a couple of other places, Chicago, I think, and New York City. But the other interesting thing is that um, on the board of advisors uh, for the design lab were people like uh, Walter Dorwin Teague, Raymond Lowy, and uh, Laszlo maholy Naj. And I think these people were all influential in, um, uh, in uh, Rojak's career. And at the, at the design laboratory, he taught two- and three-dimensional design and an experimental workshop in materials. Unfortunately, the design laboratory closed. Uh, and so in 1939, Rojak goes to work for Norman Belgetis, who was a, a famous American industrial designer. And he works for him uh, on the General Motors Pavilion at the New York World's Fair, 1939 to 40 New York World's Fair in Flushing Meadows. After that, uh, during, the, uh, during World War II, Interestingly, he works for the Brewster Aeronautical Corporation in, in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, now, th this is an aircraft manufacturer, and so he, he actually goes to work designing airplanes uh, for Brewster. And at the same time, he's teaching uh, various courses uh, in aircraft mechanics, and uh, he works as a navigational and engineering draftsman. So it, it, it seems to me that, uh, you know, working for Brewster probably wasn't all that lucrative, so I had to do other things. But that's an unusual thing for an artist to do. It is. Do you have Extremely any, interesting. any ideas of, first of all, why would an, uh, people designing aircraft hire an artist? And second, why would an artist want to start working? I, I wish I could answer that. <laughs> but it's like, but I, I have think no that, idea. But that might also be the spirit of the times, too. It's true. Which is mm -hmm. that artists are looking at technology as, a, as, as, as new material for their work. Exactly. And maybe exactly. he was learning some things. That's, that, I think that's, that probably the, that's probably the reason he did this, uh, is that he probably wanted to know more and more about aviation. 
uh, and more about the engineering aspects of aviation that perhaps he couldn't, so that he could incorporate it in his work. Uh, and you can see some of that stuff going on here in this piece. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely the idea that, um, that like wings have to be streamlined or the bodies right, of the airplanes have right. to be streamlined. I get that this is streamlined also. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm gonna talk about streamlining, the Streamline Modern, which I think is um, probably the most, um, I, I would say streamli the Streamline Modern movement in the United States in industrial design is the way art uh, uh, kind of ap approaches uh, popular aesthetics in this country. Um, so anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about the work itself. Uh, Ascension was done in 1945, so it's, it's uh, uh, sort of after the period that he works at the design laboratory and uh, on the New York World's Fair. But I, it's a typical piece, I think, by Rojak, uh, constructivist, that is, uh, it's dynamic. Uh, it's not a static piece, it's uh, dynamic. In, in its use of space, of sculptural space. Um, it appears to be influenced by his experience as an industrial designer, especially by his work on the faculty of the uh, design laboratory and his work with Bel Geddes. Um, and you can, you can see uh, the machine-tooled uh, metals are suggestive of aircraft parts, especially the parts above the globe at the top. Um, they look like things that you might find uh, in an airplane. Uh, they almost look like uh, nuts and bolts. Yeah, nuts yeah. and bolts. The globe, I'm not sure about. Um, the projections from the globe, I'm, I'm not too sure about. This down here almost looks like it could swivel. Like it looks like actually a piece from a propeller. Yes, yes. In fact, um, if you were to turn, this is elliptical in nature, this uh, central piece here. Uh, if you were to turn it on its side, it would be very much like uh, a wing profile. Uh -huh. And um, aeronautical engineers uh, were always changing the shapes of wings to get the, most ma uh, the maximum effect uh, from uh, the aerodynamics, uh, the aerodynamic flow over a wing is really what makes a wing successful or not successful. So I, I think in that respect, you can see this perhaps as a a kind of a wing shape uh, or a parabola shape or elliptical shape, mm -hmm. uh, but very suggestive of a wing, I think, or even a propeller in some respects. Um, probably more of a wing. Um, of course, you can also, uh, you can see that it has a very upward movement, uh, which suggests uh, dynamism and flight. Uh, there are some comparisons to uh, Brancusi's Bird and Space uh, series, but um, but all, but you know I've looked at that series on the internet, um, and there were a number of pieces, uh, and that's really more I think it's it's less um, I think it's more aesthetic and less sort of constructivist because it doesn't have these elements of metal uh, and other aspects that this sculpture has. Um, now, one of my colleagues who knows more about aeronautics and, and, and art than I do, Jerry Silk, says, uh, quote, uh, 
Uh, Rojak mixed modern materials such as aluminum, metal, steel, and plastic along with copper, brass, and wood to produce pieces that oscillate between purely abstract sculpture, visionary architecture, and resemblances to aircraft, their parts, and related tools and instruments. And I think you can actually you can see that in this piece uh, in, in many respects. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the social and cultural context of this piece and um, aviation's influence on American art and design. And <clears throat> aviation had an influence on artists um, probably going back to the turn of the century, and it begins in, in Italy uh, to a movement uh, called Futurism, which was um, the, uh, the founding father of which was a man named Filippo Tommaso Marinetti. Um, and he wrote numerous manifestos. He was kind of a, uh, I don't know, a bombastic figure in Italy. Uh, but the futurists were interested in sort of overturning um, the traditions of the Italian past, the classical past. And they wanted to bring Italy into the, the 20th century. And so they saw technology, speed, dynamism as uh, the motivations, the, the uh, most salient motivations for artists. And they developed, as a result, um, what was called Aeropitura, which was uh, a group of artists who were interested in uh, not so much in portraying aircraft, uh, but using aircraft as a kind of a stimulus for ideas about dynamism and speed and uh, uh, forward motion and so on. Uh, there, was also, there were also movements in uh, aero, aero literature, aero sculpture, aero cinema. Uh, the Italians, I mean, just took the airplane and, and uh, literally ran with it. Um, That's kind of an interesting thing too, because I think when you look at a lot of artwork from that time, people were seeing the world differently yes. because of air, air travel. Right. And they, they, they saw the world from another vantage point. Yes, yes. Um, they could see villages uh, as part of a larger whole, and they could see, um, and they had a sense of time that was different too. Exactly, exactly. You know? So people's reality was shifting, and I think that artists were really wanting to capture that reality and saw maybe that. Exactly. Sorry to get on my soapbox. No, no, really. Saw, but, really. Saw, but saw traditional art was not capturing the, the, the reality of how technology was changing. Exactly. A, a modern life. Experience, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you can see that in, in all kinds of artistic movements in Europe, the Cubism, for example. Right. I and mean, I think that's what the Cubists were trying to do. Now, the airplane was one, one machine that futurists were in, very much interested in, but they're also interested in, in uh, cars, they were interested in trains, they were interested in uh, machines of transport. And, um, but the idea of a machine as, as an inspiration for art uh, uh, sort of moves entirely through Europe, and it's probably uh, most manifest in European culture um, in the areas of architecture and design. Uh, in Italy, you have people like Antonio Santalia, who's very much interested in, in this uh, idea of, of machines as inspiration for architecture. Uh, like, 
that the industrial, excuse me, the Industrial Revolution actually gave rise to a lot of this. Yes, yes it did. From the 19th century. Yes. But I think this is different because I think um, uh, there is some reaction against the machine in the 19th century, uh, for example, on the part of the uh, British romantics are reacting against the machine. But uh, it's only, it's only later, they did, they lost. It's only later that, uh, as Ryan suggests, artists see uh, the 20th century as essentially different from the 19th century, primarily because of technology and the fast, fa uh, quickening pace of life, I think, and uh, the changing culture. Um, Le Corbusier, for example, is also interested in these things, uh, and he's somewhat influential on American industrial design. Um, he, I think, is one of the first people who actually uh, went up in an airplane and tried to, uh, he actually wrote about being in an airplane above the world and seeing what he saw and, um, and then theorizing that architects uh, and designers should uh, actually design from that perspective. Um, uh, a German, Eric Mendelssohn, uh, was uh, also interested in machines as inspiration for architecture. And he's probably one of the first uh, architects to use uh, uh, the streamline modern, if you will, uh, in his buildings. Uh, now, in the United States, um, this comes rather slowly to the United States, which is still artistically kind of mired in the 19th century, I think. Um, but you do have, you do have certain uh, artists and movements. Charles Sheeler, Charles DeMuth, who were called precisionists uh, because their work reflected an interest in American industrialism and the uh, modern landscape, uh, derived inspiration from futurism, cubism, and to some extent, the streamlined modern movement in Europe uh, some precisionists like Louis Lozowick and Elsie Driggs actually painted the airplane. They had works called the Aeroplane. Uh, Lozowick's from 1925 to 1927 is a series of paintings. And then Elsie Driggs, one painting called the Aeroplane, 1928, which used aviation as a motif in their work. I'm not sure. Mies van der Rohe was, uh, was associated with the Bauhaus movement, which is uh, a little bit, I mean, their ideas are somewhat different from these ideas. Uh, and as I said before, in the United States, aviation made its greatest impression on aesthetics uh, in what you might call popular aesthetics, and especially in industrial design in what was called the Streamline Modern Movement. Um, probably the, the most leading proponent of this movement in the United States was uh, Norman Bel Geddes, who was an industrial designer. Before that, he'd been a, a theatrical set designer. Uh, but he was probably the most well-known of the four major American industrial designers during the Depression. Um, 
We know that he had met Eric Mendelssohn in 1925 or 26. We know that he read Le Corbusier's Toward in the Architecture, which was translated into English in 1927, and that he was influenced by both men. Uh, he was also influenced very much by the airplane, and that's where my interest in, in him and the industrial designers of that era, uh, that's where I think, you know, I think it's probably, there's a, there's a story there, and I, that's the story I'm trying to tell in my book. Interesting thing about Rojak to me is that uh, aeronautics inspires him as an artist and sculpture, a sculptor, uh, which is, I think, the first um, example I've ever come across where uh, somebody is actually, who's actually worked as an industrial designer and then worked as a, an aircraft designer, uh, you know, is an artist, okay, uh, and does this purely for aesthetic, uh, you know, for aesthetic reasons. But he's also an industrial designer, which is a, a commerce, you know, it's part of commerce, it's a business. So um, you have a combination of, uh, you know, artist, industrial designer uh, in Rojak, which you don't see. Now these other people, these other industrial designers, uh, uh, use these aeronautical motifs, particularly streamlining, and that is the idea of uh, uh, efficiency and speed uh, in work for uh, commercial companies. Uh, uh, Norman, I'm sorry, Henry Dreyfus, for example, worked for um, the New York Central Railroad, and he you know, worked at, uh, to streamline their locomotives, and as did Raymond Lowy with the Pennsylvania Railroad. And do you think that these were people that Rorschach, Rorschach um, had contact with? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure of it. I wish I knew more. In fact, I, I want to as a result of this uh, lecture, I want to investigate his uh, ties to these people a little more because I think I could work him into my, my chapter on streamlining. Um, but as I say, um, the Streamline Modern was really more than a, a kind of a design popular aesthetic movement because it, it was, it's a lot of things and it's very hard to describe. You know, first of all, you could see it as a commercial gimmick, as a way that these industrial designers figured, well, we can use this to uh, redesign our products, which are, you know, very 19th century looking, uh, into something more modern and therefore stimulate sales. And that it definitely is one of the reasons behind it. You can also see it as a kind of a cultural movement in the United States, um, aside from its uh, sort of popular aesthetic ideas. Um, you can see it you know, manifest in all kinds of things because these industrial de designers didn't stop at uh, vehicles uh, or machines of transport. I mean, eventually they started designing uh, household goods that were streamlined. Uh, and so it makes sense that a, an artist who's probably going to be selling things to households too right. would also think that way. Exactly. And but I do think he's probably thinking more metaphorically in a way. I think Rojak is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I don't, I mean, the only reason I make this connection is because, you know, he's associated with people like Bill Geddes. He's associated with uh, this design laboratory which has on its board and the faculty, you know, members of the design, industrial design profession. So I think he's 
influenced by the idea of industrial design. But it brings up an interesting question for all of us to think about, which is, is this more design than, than art? Than art. No. No, I don't think so. I don't what do think other so. people think? I'm just kind of curious. I think it has the basic requisites of a work of art, um, but it's including illusions, the illusion, the allusions yeah. to, to the to the machine, to machines, and but and it, it um, has balance, color, everything. But that yeah. design can have that too. Hmm? I mean, design can have balance and color. Exactly. Sure. Sure. But but the so thing the is, that design is then? design is to be is commercial. Right. Right. So what do we know about the exact thought about the artist? Why did he do this? I, that I can't tell you. Well, <laughs> I'm, sure you. I'm just putting it out. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, think that's, I think that's why what's so interesting about what Dom is talking about is that here's an artist who actually wanted so much to respond to technology that he actually went, I mean, he was also paid, too. Right. But he also went to, to you know, to work at, with designers of the aircraft. So it's a, it's, yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. How much of a body of work did he leave? Uh, he, oh, he quite, quite a lot, quite a lot. Well, I want to, I want to get, let me get through the end of this because okay. I want to talk, I, I want to finish by saying that um, I think uh, as with the Streamline Modern Movement, which has its culmination at the New York World's Fair in 1939 and 40, um, after that, because it's so, it's such an optimistic idea Technologic, you know, everything is uh, possible. It's called the world of tomorrow. Uh, but World War II changes all that. And uh, so the Streamline Modern movement, I think, sort of ends, even though you see traces of it after the war. But I think the, the sort of ideological and cultural impact of it ends in 1939, 1940. Um, and, and you see this uh, with artists who were influenced by the airplane and other, you know, other machines, they start to lose their optimism about technology. In particular, uh, Rojak, because in 1946 and 1947, you know, immediately after he does this work, which is quite optimistic and quite uh, playful, I think, in, in, in a way, he does a piece called uh, Specter of Kitty Hawk which is owned by the Museum of Modern Art, which is much different from, and I think much darker uh, than this piece. Uh, because of World War II, because of the, uh, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, artists uh, like Rojak, and you can see this happening in, in many respects uh, in other artists who are inspired by the airplane, uh, more or less turn against it because they see it as a, a vehicle of destruction. Uh, and I just end by quoting my colleague Jerry Silk. Uh, he talks about uh, he talks about the spe uh, specter of Kitty Hawk. He says, um, "Where ascension appears to be a playful and positive uh, use of aeronautical elements, specter is in Gerald Silk's words." Gerald. Specter announces that the initial fears that the Wright brothers' invention might wreak terrible destruction in the future have now been realized. Made of hammered steel and brazed with 
uh, bronze and brass. This spiky tentacular piece with a scaly repellent surface suggests a terrifying primitive beast as alleged progress becomes atavism. Because of the destructive way aircraft had been used, Rojak remarked, he likened the sculpture to the, quote, uh, superior dominance of the pterodactyl that at one time also scourged uh, the earth, the air and the earth, quote. So that, with that I'll end. And Thank you so much right. for doing this Thank today. You. It was really interesting. I appreciate you doing it. Thank you.